Hello, and welcome to the Smart Karma Podcast. I'm Michael Tegos. Every week on the podcast, we share a presentation and discussion from our webinar Wednesdays when we sit down with Smart Karma Insight providers and selected experts from around the world to break down the key topics you care about in Asia's markets. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocket Casts, and so on. Thank you for being with us and enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Smart Karma's webinar Wednesday. I'm Michael Tegos from Smart Karma. Today, we're happy to have with us inside provider Victor Galliano, who will share his insights into Latin America financials and the value opportunities he sees there. A few words about Victor. He is an experienced equity banks analyst, having covered Latin America banks and non-bank financials for over 12 years. And more recently, he has been covering Italian banks and fintech as well. He has worked on sell-side equity research for 30 years in a career that spans Barclays, HSBC, NatWest, and more. Victor, welcome, and thank you very much for being with us today. Over to you for your presentation. Good morning or good afternoon, everyone. Uh, thanks very much, Michael. Thanks very much, Smart Karma, for organizing this event. Without further ado, let's go into my thoughts and ideas on LATAM financials. The main focus here will be on banks, uh, but we'll also be talking about some non-bank financials uh, that perhaps aren't so much on people's radar screens, namely payments, asset managers, uh, and also uh, one of the exchanges as well, uh, and put it, trying to put those into an emerging markets and also global context. What we've tried to do here is really focus on kind of you know the key valuation metrics and and look at them on a on a fundamental basis and yes we use the traditional pe price to book value ratios uh, but also we're looking at some growth metrics here as there are some fintech names that would really not fit in a traditional kind of uh, shall we say valuation uh, value approach so in terms of uh, of the names we're looking at, we have some usual suspects here, uh, like Banco do Brazil, which has been a, a value name that I've been beating the drum on for, for a while. And we'll talk in more detail on that. But what we like, Banco do Brazil, and we're also adding Bradesco to the names in Brazilian banks that we like. Uh, both of these, I think, are Relative contrarian calls, certainly Banco do Brazil is probably the bigger contrarian call here. On the fintech side, Banco Inter, which is uh, a name that now has an $11 billion market cap and has been a very, very strong performer and one that we've liked a great deal. We're now thinking this is, uh, this is looking quite overvalued. And there are some challenges to them in terms of uh, growth going forward, but also I think risks to investors in that they will need to come back and 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 raise more capital, certainly over the medium term. In Mexico, Banorte remains very much a uh, a positive call for us. Uh, we've liked this name since about June of last year. It's worked well, but uh, it is a consensus call, increasingly a consensus call. But we think there's still more momentum here. And Mexico as an economy, I think, will, will benefit and will be one of those key beneficiaries in LATAM from U.S. GDP growth recovery. Really, it's, it's, it's very much uh, next door and should also benefit from sort of reshoring opportunities there as well. 
in Peru, one to watch. This is not on our buy list, but it's one to certainly watch is Credit Corp. It's derated sharply. And the heightened political risk there, and we'll talk more about that, is what's really led to this. But this is a name to watch, and it's a real quality name amongst uh, LATAM financials, extremely well-run banking, extremely powerful financial institution as well, uh, outside of the banking with insurance and asset management businesses as well. Outside of banks and coming back to Brazil, and these three names that we'll focus on here will all be Brazil, really. You've got Paxaguro and Payments, which is our preferred name there. Uh, you've got the old incumbents, Yellow, uh, which uh, I think has a great deal of problems and is losing market share to the uh, fintechs, Paxaguro and uh, Stoneco amongst them. Also, GetNet that belongs to Santander, but Paxaguro is our preferred name there. We'll talk more about that later. Also in Brazil, on the asset and wealth management side, we look at XP. Uh, we remain cautious on this name. We believe that the competitive environment is intensifying. We'll talk more about that. Uh, and also the, 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 the basically the arms race for everybody uh, building up their army of uh, independent financial advisors to win over clients. Uh, we think this is going to be a cost for the sector going forward uh, and for XP. In exchanges, B3 again in Brazil. Uh, this is a name that has been very highly rated. It has come down from the stratosphere in terms of valuations. Is one to look at. There could be some more near-term financial risks here, but we think that actually there's, uh, there's something to look for here in the medium term. We're looking for catalysts in terms of the numbers, in terms of transactions and uh, the activity on exchange, not just on the equity side, but more on the derivative side and also on FICC's uh, fixed income commodities and currencies uh, business as well. So let's look at Brazil specifically here and what's been happening to foreign investor flows. Uh, and over the last 15 months, we can see that there was a big recovery coming back in sort of October, November, as there was that rotation to value. And this benefited Latin America and Brazil in particular. But that fell off and fell away, as we saw continuing coronavirus risks and also some political risks coming through as well. In April, though, we've seen a recovery in terms of foreign investor flows, something in the region of about a billion plus dollars there of foreign investor flows coming through in April. So that's a, that's a positive signal and really, I think, indicates that there's potential here for more value investors to uh, start hunting for, for ideas in Brazil. Also, what we've seen is, is the concerns around the currency market settled down. So the Brazilian real went to nearly six to the dollar uh, earlier on in the year. Um, we've seen it come down to about five and a half at current levels. LATAM bank valuations. Um, and you can see highlighted here are large cap names that we like in blue. In the sort of coral color, we've got uh, Banco Inter, which is really one that we're very cautious on at these levels. Uh, and you can see the valuations there. And Credit Corp, which is a name to watch. I think, firstly, on Banco do Brazil, 
yes, there are lots of issues here at standing. Uh, there's corporate governance issues that we'll talk about later. But you can see that this is trading at a near sort of 60% discount to Bradesco in terms of price to book value. We think that discount is really overdone. Uh, and we'll talk a bit more about that later, not just in terms of the earnings picture with it, you know, trading on multiples of about five times, but also looking at the uh, strength of the balance sheet uh, and uh, so credit quality and, um, and capital credentials. Bradesco is a bit more of a consensus name, but I think one that has been out of favor for a bit, as we can see from, from the multiples here. And uh, we think that actually this offers, it offers some opportunities on the buy side. Mainly, it is Brazil focused, but it has some diversification away from pure banking business. So about 30% of its earnings derives from insurance. We now have a much lower interest rate environment in Brazil, which is sort of tougher for banks in terms of their spread compression and the like. On that basis, we think the, the insurance business will provide uh, something of a cushion here to earnings. And they've just reported some very good numbers for the first quarter, especially on the insurance side. On the credit quality side, they're a little bit more exposed because they have more exposure to SMEs than, say, Banco do Brazil. But um, having said that, they've got good coverage levels uh, and are, I think, well prepared should we see, which we expect to see, a worsening of credit quality, in, um, especially in that uh, micro and SME space. On Banco Inter, and we'll talk about this in more detail in a slide later, not only do you want to look at, you know, these, these valuations are clearly sort of very fintech valuations. The core capital ratio is high for the bank, so that's good for now, but it is growing very fast. Just to give you an indication, you know, they grew their number of, of clients by 100% to the first quarter of 2021 to just over 10 million clients. So, you know, they're growing their balance sheet fast as well and consuming capital. The outlook for ROE on a consensus basis is 3.3% for this year. That may actually be too positive in my view. The number for 2022 also seems a bit too positive in my view because they've still got quite high customer acquisition costs coming through. We'll talk about that more later. On Banorte, valuations I think still look very reasonable. And I think consensus here is looking, is looking a little low. Um, they could do better than that. And this remains very much a core holding in our group of LATAM names. Credit Corp, valuations look reasonable. As we say, it's one to watch. And we'll show later that actually, in terms of credit quality, they seem to be in quite a, quite a strong position. So here we have a, um, by bubble size, really, it's the market caps that determines this, the LATAM banks, our core ideas on PBV ratio versus ROE. And really, it's just a pictorial representation of, of what we already have discussed. Banco do Brazil, very, very deeply discounted. One smaller cap name that we also like is Banco del Bajio in Mexico, Ban Bajio. It's about just under a $2 billion market cap. That's quite an interesting name and uh, very reasonably valued as well. 
Uh, and I think on the on the recovery, you know, hanging on the tailwind of U.S. recovery, that's one that could that could really benefit with its consumer exposure and the like. Uh, and you see here as well, Bradesco and uh, Banorte represented. These are the the LATAM banks in blue uh, represented same price to book value versus ROE, the seven largest LATAM banks in, in, in blue on investable market cap basis versus the gem peers. And you can see here the China banks largely in the, at the value end guarantee here at the top left, Spurbank. And, uh, you know, further to the right, you've got a lot of the Indian banks, Indonesian and, um, and Malaysian banks sort of in, in the middle there with uh, Capitec very much at the uh, top end of valuation and returns there. Now, in terms of one other, we talked about earlier about credit quality. And you can see here, Banorte has very high coverage and relatively low MPL ratios. This is on a Mexican gap basis. Banco do, do Brazil, also on a Brazil gap basis here has got relatively low MPLs and uh, high coverage. So again, that's attractive. Credit Corp, and this is on an IFRS basis, which tends to be a little bit stricter in terms of the definition of, of MPLs, has a higher MPL ratio, but coverage is still over 150%. In the case of Bradesco, this is their IFRS basis, and you can see the MPL ratio is, is much higher. On a Brazil gap basis, this would be more in the region of sort of 3%. So it's significantly higher on IFRS and the, and the coverage is, is, is lower, but that's really due to the stricter definitions on, on, on IFRS accounting for impairments rather than just pure MPLs over 90 days. So these are MPLs over 90 days here. But still, they, they all screen relatively well. Obviously, Bradesco is more out there. Itaú, uh, which is also under IFRS basis here, so this is an apples-to-apples apples comparison, has got lower coverage, but has also got lower MPLs. And these are for Q20 data. Looking at the um, core capital ratios on the vertical axis here, on the y-axis, and on the x-axis, the uh, MPL coverage. Bradesco screens reasonably well within the peer group in terms of capital, sort of 12.5% core capital ratio, that CT1 ratio, little better than Itaú. Credit Corp is a bit low on, on capital ratio, around the 11% mark, but is has got good coverage of over 150. Banco do Brazil is looking quite healthy at about sort of 125 plus to 13% core capital ratio, and Banorte is nearly at 15%. So Banorte stands out there on coverage and capital. And on peg ratios, just looking at the banks here, we what we've put here in the pale green are the names that we actually really like. Uh, and we can see they're at the bottom end here. Credit Corp is very much in at the in the value extreme of the peg ratios uh and that's uh you know that's that's very much a product of what we discussed earlier 
which is really the the political situation. What you have going on in Peru at the moment is you have a presidential election. The final round is due in, in on June the 4th between Pedro Castillo, who's a left-wing populist, and Keiko Fujimori, who is more of a political animal um, and whose father was president, but also has lots of allegations of corruption around her, etc. So it's not a, it's not a pretty picture. Um, but the concern here is that Pedro Castillo, who is leading in the polls at the moment, will get in. The fear is that he will be an extreme left-wing populist. But I think he will be more like, to put it in a LATAM context, more like AMLO in Mexico than, shall we say, Chavez or Maduro in, in Venezuela, or, or, or even the, in, uh, the situation in Ecuador. So I think we will see you know, we, he will allow for private sector capital to continue um, should he get into power. But clearly, the markets are nervous about this right now. And it's, it's one to watch and watch closely on the polls going forward. Focusing now a bit on, on digital banks, I think the, um, the key thing here is looking at Banco Inter. We've looked at the, the traditional valuations, but actually, I think how investors look at uh, these banks a lot more is, is, is more in terms of their estimated market value, estimated all market value per digital account. Obviously, in the case of Newbank, that isn't listed, but we know that they have a base of 35 million of accounts uh, and they're valued at about $25 billion. So its value per account is around $714. In the case of Banco Inter, based on its current market cap, we're looking at over a thousand. Now, New Bank, although it's not listed, is, is seems to be uh, you know a very very solid player and is growing very fast, not only in Brazil but has now opened up operations in Mexico and Colombia and um, Argentina uh, in a small way. So it's quite a it's quite a phenomenal. It's it's really the benchmark, I think for digital banks in Latin America. And so that valuation for Banco Inter, even though they're doing a very, a very good job in terms of delivering growth, you know, over a thousand dollars per digital account seems a little pricey uh, and seems a little too demanding currently. The only other thing that exceeds them in valuation is Chime in the US, where there seems to be less competition on the digital side. In Europe, where we see much more competition in the UK and Germany, these are the sorts of most recent valuations we have for N26 in Germany, Revolut and Monzo. And in Russia, you've got Tinkoff, which is, I think, giving quite a hard time to the incumbent Russian banks, uh, certainly uh, giving Spurbank a run for their money as well. But um, yeah, the valuations, I think, seem a little steep on Inter at the moment. Moving on to uh, payments companies, just and this is and this is really Brazil and the U.S. are, are the peer group that we use here. You can see on the valuations that Paxiguro is an attractive uh, is an attractive name, and on a on a peg basis is very attractive. Cielo is very much the incumbent, uh, the old incumbent in payments in. Um, it was the old uh, uh, visa acquiring system in, in, in Brazil. But clearly, this has been overtaken and is losing market share to players like Stoneco, 
Pagseguro, GetNet of Santander Group, um, and other names as well. I suppose Mercado Pago as well, which is part of uh, Mercado Libre, is also making big inroads in terms of merchant acquiring and payments in, in Brazil uh, and in the rest of the region. But PagSeguro is, is, is an interesting one. And I think, you know, part of the story here is, and part of the attraction is that they're also growing their um, incipient banking business. They have a banking license. They have nearly 8 million accounts of their merchant acquirers. So it's offering something more and at better value, I think, than Stoneco. It's got Pag Bank, its bank, and and the business there is is uh, is an interesting one because what you can do is is really lend to those merchant acquirers off the back of the transactions that you process and you see, so you can see the business, and I think you can better assess the credit quality of your borrowers on that basis as you see the flow of transactions and 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 merchant acquiring transactions coming through. So in summary here on payments, we like, you know, Pagseguro very much is the kind of GARP uh, offering growth at a reasonable price um, versus Stoneco. Cielo looks very much like the value trap. And we've got the US names there very much as a, as a comparison. On wealth and asset managers, and here I think that the big issue is, and actually uh, XP has reported results overnight, very strong results, very good results. So why am I negative on it? I'm negative on it because on a on a strategic basis, on a kind of six months down the road basis, you know, this is this is a business that will continue to deal with increasing competition in every respect. You know, recently we heard just in the last couple of days that you know BTG Pactual which I've put in there as, as, as a comp, but is more of a, shall we say, a, um, a holistic investment bank than, than XP, which is more of a broker and asset custodian and wealth manager. But BTG Pactual has acquired one of, the, one of the older, more established names in brokerage in Brazil, Fator Brokerage. And it just gives you a sense of how much the competition is growing there. I believe that there is an uh, independent financial advisor arms race going on in Brazil at present, and it's not just XP and BTG Pactual, but you've also had Modal come and IPO. Modal is an affiliate of Credit Suisse, so again, it's got the strength at the global level to offer its clients much more on a global basis. And I think that there will be margin pressure coming through. Also, even New Bank, which is more of a digital bank, you know, last year acquired Easy Invest, which was an online brokerage and uh, and wealth manager. So the the competition here is intensifying. You know, the valuation multiples I think are 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 relatively demanding. Okay, it's on eleven times market cap to revenue. We see a lot of that elsewhere in the world, in this space and in the fintech space. But is it sustainable? I think you know the competition will intensify in this space, and and for XP it will be hard for them to maintain their um, their premium valuations going forward. As I say, on a sort of six month uh, to twelve month basis. Here is a, a sort of uh, an idea of kind of what's been happening at Cogs cost of cost of goods sold, which includes the cost of the IFAs and how it's rising. Actually. 
to be absolutely fair, just having looked at the numbers this morning, that will probably be coming down in Q1. But we'll also see the take rate pretty much flat. Um, so the take rate is 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 a measure of your of your revenue per AUC, and and that has been coming down over the longer run. I think this will continue to go up. We will see this continuing to erode. And quickly on exchanges, I think you know just looking at B three, it's it's come down from a stratospheric valuation on a enterprise value to revenue. It's still over ten times. It's quite pricey, but it's not horrendously expensive compared to its global peers. We think there's more value there, but there's still a bit more risk to the downside. And we think there are better, better uh, growth opportunities in other global exchanges, either value or, or, or growth opportunities there. It is still one to watch. If we do see transaction activity picking up, especially in FICC and derivatives, then that I think will be interesting. And one other thing that they're developing in B3 is also uh, what they call BDRs, which are Brazil depository receipts. So offering investors on the retail side um, things like access to global ETFs and uh, uh, global stocks, but on the Brazilian exchange. And you know, retail investors in Brazil, especially with interest rates relatively low are keen to diversify their portfolios away from the domestic side of things. That's pretty much it in a nutshell. The only other thing I wanted to mention was maybe talk a little bit here quickly going back to um, going back to Banco do Brazil and just talk a little bit about corporate governance risks. I think there have been a lot of concerns here about government intervention, and there has been some government intervention. But one important thing that I want to leave the investors with on Banco do Brazil is remember that the government has control, a wholly owned bank that they control, 100% owned by the federal government, which is Caixa Economica Federal, is the third largest bank in Brazil. And we believe that this is likely to be the main tool of social policy, should they wish to implement social policy you know, through a bank. Uh, and have it as as the main vehicle for government-directed lending transfers and payments. I'll leave it there. Sorry, I, I, I might have run on a bit too long, uh, but I'll leave it there and, and hand over back to uh, Michael for any questions. Thank you very much, Victor. That is quite okay. This was uh, quite a rich presentation, I think. It's true that we only have a few minutes left, so perhaps... Uh, since you actually just uh, talked a bit about it, um, and uh, also you mentioned factors like political uncertainty in Peru, for example. And as we know, in Brazil, uh, there is an upcoming electoral race uh, with a, a much vaunted candidate potentially back in the race, uh, and uh, polls predicting a, a, a quite a tight race in that regard. So I wonder... Do you think that there will be uh, an impact uh, in your uh, in your picks in this regard? Um, oh, with regard to potentially um, Lula coming with back, with Lula the, potentially running, yeah, 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 yeah. No, very, very fair point, uh, Michael. I think I think that the interesting thing there is is that yes, I mean Lula. Lula won was very, um, very successful, you know, a successful president, and he was lucky 
I think, uh, and and you know, you know, a bit like Napoleon, I want lucky generals. He was a, he was a lucky president because he timed it at the time of the commodity supercycle, uh, and he was in a position to show a lot of largesse in terms of social policy and actually be able to fund it. This time around, I mean, I think if you do have a situation, you know, Bolsonaro is clearly very discredited uh, in view of what's been going on with regard to the whole COVID-19 scene, which he's, which he's managed really, well, he hasn't really managed at all. Um, so the, the issue here is what would Lula be like if Lula were to get into power? What would Lula be like? A Lula Mark III, if you like. And, you know, he obviously has some serious baggage now, which he didn't have first time around or even maybe second time around. But I think he would be more of a pragmatist. Uh, he was a pragmatist, having preached fire and brimstone and, um, and very much a left wing agenda. What would that imply for SOEs? I think it would not imply a lot of a very different scenario to what we have right now. And I think one of the key things is what I mentioned right at the end, is that actually, if you want a tool of government social policy, you already have it in the form of Caixa Economica Federal. You know, this is a huge Mm -hmm. bank with enormous capillarity in terms of branch network. So if you want to maintain a branch network in every town, every village in Brazil, you know, Caixa Economica Federal is the vehicle. So Banco do Brazil is a vehicle that I think over the over the medium term, you know, will be able to execute on, shall we say, extraction of value for its shareholders. Okay, in the near term, it looks like the Bolsonaro agenda was very much to put the brakes on you know, cutting branches and redundancies and that sort of thing. And that obviously will hurt returns. But, you know, what you have is you have the capacity over the medium term to put a slower paced restructuring program in for Banco do Brazil and still have that sort of vehicle, shall we say, for your, you know, distribution of of, of payment transfers or welfare checks or whatever through the Caixa Economica Federal platform and uh, branch network. So I think that's what he would be. I think he would be more, in many ways, uh, more pragmatic rather than radical. And, um, you know, I, th- I think in a way you'd have, you know, there's sort of two sides of the same coin, the left-wing populist versus the right-wing populist. Mm-hmm. Thank you for that. It it's really a matter of wait and see, uh, I guess. There, yeah, so definitely. we'll see what happens. When it comes to uh, your digital bank uh, picks, I wonder, yes. given uh, the history that we've seen in other markets, when it comes to incumbent financial institutions uh, and digital upstarts, so to speak. So, do you see any of them, uh, any of the digital banks? I mean, being potential acquisition targets uh, by any of the incumbents in uh, particularly in Brazil, I guess. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's a very good point, Michael. And something I didn't mention was um, actually right now in the case of Banco Pan and Banco Pan is a historic, shall we say, consumer bank that, that, that had uh, had a number of issues post the global financial crisis was then majority owned by Caixa Economica Federal. So effectively the government and has since been a sort of joint venture ownership between 
Caixa Económica Federal and BTG Pactual, interestingly. And, you know, BTG Pactual historically was close to the socialist government of, of, of Lula. So hence they're in there. But now BTG Pactual recently has actually made an offer to acquire Caixa Económica Federal's part of it. And they're turning Banco Pan into a digital bank. So they're moving away from the branch network, turning it much more into a digital bank. And BTG itself is building out on many on many parts, but mainly on the digital side of wealth management, asset management, but also consumer banking, as we see through Banco Pan. So there's competition there. So that's the first sort of, shall we say, M&A move that we've seen in, in that space of meaningful size. New Bank has made an acquisition, as I was saying earlier last year, of Easy Invest, which is a broker. So we're seeing a sort of bit of a game of Pac-Man developing, a larger fintechs taking over smaller fintechs, maybe not necessarily in the same core business that they're in, but because they can offer, they can increase their breadth of offering to their customers. And I think that's where the interesting thing comes. Now, would a would an incumbent be interested in acquiring Banco Inter? It's not impossible. I would say it's not highly likely because you would then have all the legacy tech systems to blend in with the, you know, digital bank systems of someone like like Banco Inter. So it would be challenging. But I think um, what we're more likely to see in the near term is I think spin-offs of digital banks. So for example, you know, you've got Bradesco with their own digital bank within the group called Next. You know, is that something that could be, if it reaches profitability, spun off and IPO'd? Yes, that's very possible. Um, Banorte has also just spun off its own digital bank within the banking group into a new company. That's something that could also be spun off. But in terms of smaller upstarts that have a significant offering, say, in payments or in wealth management um, or even in back office functions, yes, we could see some uh, acquisitions. Would I expect some sort of mega acquisition, a sort of new bank, Banco Inter, that would give you a sort of client base of nearly 45 million in Brazil? Not impossible, but that would be that would be a tough one to do i think what's much more likely and what's been talked about is an ipo of new bank potentially later in the mm-hmm. year and uh and that that could be very exciting that would also be another bear point i think for banco inter because it would lose some of its scarcity value it's really the only digital bank in brazil right now that's investable through the marketplace but um yeah we could well see I think what we're likely to see is M&A, but shall we say bolt-on M&A for digital banks, mm-hmm. where they want to bolt-on a, uh, a, a, a small company that will give them more breadth in terms of their offering for customers. That's a, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Okay. Uh, not to take up too much more of your time, uh, and we can uh, start winding down, but really quickly... Since I know that you're looking into quite a few emerging markets, would you be able to share in maybe a rapid fire fashion uh, some some names that you like outside of Latin America that potentially compare to your picks, uh, to the picks that you share today? 
Sure. Um, I think in the bank space, what you need to what you know what I think is 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 interesting right now. Certainly, names to watch. I would say that in in the Asia space, a name that we like at the moment is uh, Postal Savings Bank of China, and this is really partly valuation, but also partly the dynamic and what's going on in China at the moment with the regulator clamping down on the um, mega fintechs, in particular Ant Group. I think with everything that's going on in China in terms of, and we've we've written about this, I think at length, what's going on with China, the development of the central bank digital currency, we see it as positive for the incumbent banks that the fintechs are being regulated more like banks. And, and clearly that is creating more of a level playing field, certainly in China, more so than anywhere else between fintechs and banks. So this means that actually, you know, the capillarity of someone like PSBC is, is important uh, and is valuable mm-hmm. and, and, you know, is valuable to the state and to the central bank in terms of their rollout of central bank digital currency. So I'll, le- I'll leave that there. That, that's a name that we do like. One to watch that is very much, I think, a contrarian view. And, um, you know, there might be a sharp intake of breath on this one. But in Turkey, <laughs> um, where we've seen, um, you know, we've seen some really um, very poor governance coming through on, on, on the politics side of things. Garanti is a, a, a phenomenal bank in the wrong economy, I suppose, or in the wrong political mm-hmm. economy right now. But we haven't seen the new central bank governor bring rates down. So that, I think, is a reprieve. Um, But for the brave, that's one to look at. I don't know that it's one to pile in right now. And I would be quite cautious on the uh, Indian banks currently, um, not just given the COVID situation, but their valuations are looking looking quite stretched. But yeah, Postal Savings Bank of China is a name we we really like in, in China. Elsewhere... Uh, I would say, uh, you know, that, that there's nothing that really screams out at the moment, mm-hmm. but there are some other names in South Africa valuations. Some of the valuations are very, very cheap of ABSA and the like. But again, I, I think you're looking for a trigger there. Absolutely. Thank you very much for, for sharing these. And uh, that that was quite an interesting uh, pick there. Uh, it, in Turkey, I'm sure that uh, it it has raised some eyebrows, and uh, you know, contrarian uh, views like that are what we're all about here at Smart Karma. So thank you very much for that. Um, sure, you're and welcome, thank Michael. you, thank you everyone for being with us today. Don't forget, you can find uh, Victor's work and analysis on Smart Karma. So definitely uh, go and seek out his uh, insights there. Uh, and you can engage Victor for bespoke research requests as well. To do that, please contact your Smart Karma account manager and they will be able to help you out. And if you have any other questions, please email us at research at smartkarma.com. Victor, thank you very much once again for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks, Michael. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. That's it for this week. If you liked this episode, please share it with your networks and follow Smart Karma on your social media. We're Smart Karma everywhere. And of course, don't forget to visit smartkarma.com for truly independent, differentiated investment research. As always, thank you very much for listening, and see you at the next one.